welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about our favorite Star Wars books featuring our favorite brand new characters who are definitely going to eclipse everybody else in this book. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week on Forever Canon, we get into chapters 9 through 12 of Fate of the Jedi, book 2, Omen. And I swear to God, I can hear how much I'm smiling every time I say that because it makes me smirk to know that I'm going to blow it at some point. Uh, yeah, one of these times it'll be three books in, and and you'll just you'll just say the wrong one. Yeah, man, I've been on a hot streak, but all right, you know, the, every every good thing comes to an end. This you, week you got to prepare yourself for failure just in case. That's what that's why I smile. <laughs> <laughs> this week. Chapters 9 through 12. But first, bum bum bum. Previously, on Forever Canon, Vastara Kai, a Sith on Kesh, is found by ship just in time. Luke thinks Jason planted a time-traveling time bomb. The Skywalker's next step is dangerous and also time-weird. And Kenth is failing the order. Corrin starts insurrection time. That was last. That was that was what happened in the last episode. Do you guys? I don't know if you guys know the format yet. Yeah, we we do that part first. That's my headlines. That's my, my fancy headlines. But that was last week. This week, we start with chapter nine, and we start in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, and we start with Jaina, who has brought Han and Leia to see their old pal Seth Helen. He's out of the med center and into a fully furnished apartment prison. Like a really nice. Really place. nice apartment prison. Because, like, you know, he's not a bad guy. He just, he's sick. Yeah. He's a sick good guy. Don't freeze him in carbonite and hang him in a fucking uh, dark warehouse. <laughs> put, put him in a fancy apartment. Put your carbonite up in the closet there. Yeah. <laughs> so Han and Leia and Jane are all observing Seth from like a once again so hard to say this name out loud they're observing him like from like a what do you call like a catwalk right like a balcony type yeah. of area and Leia for the benefit of all of us who maybe skipped the Millennium Falcon novel Leia recalls their earlier encounter with Seth Helen uh, basically breaks down to Alana Sensed his bad energy and ran away screaming Jason. Which is good when you want a child to keep a secret. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a child. Uh, Seth force paralyzed a bunch of guards with a power that he shouldn't have had, right? But Jason had. So, yeah, and, and you know what? I read that book. I own that book. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember any of that either. I just remember them planet hopping, and the story was kind of boring. Yeah, that's, that's, that was my gist of it, too. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, maybe we're the two wrong people to do a podcast together. Because <laughs> we just see a lot of things the same way. But, <laughs> I don't know, I really did. Uh, that. I didn't want to go revisit that book this time around. Because, uh, you know, the appeal of well, the appeal of getting to this series that you've never read, and also just the the high energy of finishing that favorite book series of ours, right? Yeah. I didn't want to go, let's 
do a one-off that we don't really like that much. <laughs> Yeah, let's do one that we don't really care all that much about. But maybe eh, maybe it would have been good, right? Maybe it would have had all that stuff that we wanted from book one, where we wanted, like, Han and Leia and Jaina to dwell on, on Jason a little bit or something. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what's I don't in know. there. I don't know. I might have to pick it up and just skim through. Just you know what, see. man? We'll circle back on it sometime in the podcast, too. So we don't got to worry about that too much. Anyways... Back to back to what happened with Seth Helen last time. He had the power that Jason should have had, or Jason had, and he shouldn't have had. And that brings me back to Luke's theory from last episode, right? What if he was right? All these and, crazy and Jedi. Like infecting the like someone putting like time bombs in all these guys. Yeah, like it, like putting a a, <laughs> a fail safe time release craziness that comes with some of his maybe not signature powers but some of his like exclusive powers that he you know got on his special journey what if luke is right <laughs> it's making sense the more and more that this stuff's going on it's and you know what though it paints jason in a in as more of a evil villain than he was really yeah unless you know whatever you have the Moment of weakness when you feel like everything's falling apart, but I don't think he ever thought anything was falling apart until his sister was about to cut his... She didn't cut his head off. Kill him, I mean. No, no, she definitely had his head holding him in, in her lap. I know. Once again, my memory has betrayed me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I always remember that as a severed head. <laughs> Anyways, so Leia tells us that Seth Helen's energy is... Darker, stronger, Fast and Furious 9, some shit like that, right? And as they leave, they're all done staring at this dude from the balcony of his apartment prison. He has some words for the solos. Mm -hmm. Yes. Pretend to be just like us. Drink your calf, eat your Nerf steaks. Swing your lightsabers like real Jedi, but we'll stop you. We'll stop you and get back the people you've stolen. Get back the people you've stolen. Yeah. Now, this is an angle that I wasn't considering from, you know, uh, let's take the body snatching thing as correct. Why would you assume the people are still alive? I didn't. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have. I didn't even think. I thought he just assumed they were all dead. But he says, we'll get them back here. And so that, that's that got to be a clue for us into this, whatever's happening with this sickness, right? They all believe that the, that the, the oh God, I don't know, the non-imposters are still alive, you know? Is it? Is that key? Is that is that a key to the sickness? Like them having hope uh yeah that's that would be why they would fight so hard exactly right and so you know that was an that's an interesting part of it that i i just wouldn't have thought i would have assumed everybody was dead and like run for your life that's what i thought i thought they were thinking that everybody's toast and sucks and yeah let's just get out of here but now you know come to think of it now thinking back to 
uh, Valen going crazy with his mom and dad in the kitchen. I think he was saying similar things like, where are they and what did you do with them? Not, I don't know. Maybe I just thought of that more as his own self-doubt at the beginning of the sickness or something like that. But Seth Helen, well, and that was, go ahead. that was right away, right? That yeah. Was, like, like the, he went to bed and his parents were there. He woke up in the morning and his mom was not, wasn't his mom and all that. So it could have been, maybe they're still alive because it's been 12 hours. But for Seth Helen, he's been sick for like a year. Yeah. Some some kind of timeline like that, right? Like a very extended period of time. And he has gone on a pretty wild adventure himself and found himself now locked up in the basement of the Jedi Temple, still thinking that everybody is alive somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But we move on nonetheless. They leave, and the Solos have a chat about family and the horns. They talk about Dala. And they talk about Javis Tear, of course, because he wants to talk to Jane and Jag. He can't leave them alone. He's harassing them. He's a terrible paparazzi reporter. Plus, he filmed the Gisela thing. And man, don't we all just hate the media? Right? In, in, in general, yeah. Here's a question for you. All right. Why? Why is Javis Tear a bad guy? Or being painted like that from the perspective of the Jedi. Well, oh. I think in in this case, he's more, he's not so much just like uh, reporting the facts as he is sensationalism, it seems like. Maybe, but. Where he's just like, look at these people. They're all terrible. They're all going crazy. But he, do something about it. but what, what commentary have we ever been told that he gave? All he did was record them with a camera in public. I think there was one uh, in the last in the last bit there was or the last four chapters there was one where it was him there was him commenting a little bit on the stuff that he had shot. Well, maybe. Maybe. But still I'm thinking that the Jedi are just mad that they can't quietly cover up this deadly mystery. Like they have all of their problems all of, across all the years of the galaxy. You know what I mean? That, that they never tell anybody well. what's going on ever. They're Luke Skywalker. All but, the time. But now, you know, their mistakes are being aired in the public. And so they hate this guy for it. He's done nothing wrong. He's a reporter. They're just mad that they can't cover this shit up and not get in trouble for it. Brings yeah. me to another question. How right is Dala? Uh, I, she... If that perspective I, is correct. Yeah. I think maybe there's a... They need to... The Jedi, for sure, especially how they're being... How they're portrayed now and all through the last little bit, is they definitely do need some sort of policing of some... Somehow, yeah. not just like they're self-governing accountability booster. Yeah. But, absolutely but like the fact that i don't know the fact that so, some of the jedi like that yakil from the unit the bot was she bothering or whatever um yeah, like she um, was like oh i hate reporters i hate the media blah 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 and then like everybody's all mad that they this guy filmed them he didn't make her go crazy and attack everybody 
this was the dude with the camera. And then he's like, here's what I saw. Let me tell you about it. This is like totally, sorry, I keep interrupting you right when you start, but like, this is just, this is just misdirected anger. No, like, I mean, no. Uh, I, I think, yeah, a lot of it has to do with their friends are all going nuts. They don't know what to do. And so whoever's the most, um, the most vocal or the most in front of them, they're getting mad at. Well, like it's, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very confusing time for the Jedi. Luke Skywalker has been exiled. Some of them are going crazy in public. Dahl is trying to stomp out all of their authority and they can't get their feet under themselves right now. Right? So yeah, they're frustrated with everything, but Jaina being so frustrated with this reporter and like everybody hating on this guy for filming stuff in public is like absurd. It's ridiculous, and it makes the Jedi, to me, look so bad. It makes Dala look so right. I don't know. That's my opinion. Anyway. Yeah, they should definitely be a little more objective. I think part of it is they're also scrambling because, like you said, Luke's gone. They're dealing with Hamner, who everybody is... It's pretty incompetent. They like him fine, yeah. but he's a politician. They think he's kind of dumb. Right. Yeah, he's not. He's no Luke Skywalker, though. I mean, that's. But scrambling yeah, so, was the right word. They're 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 all kinds of scrambly eggs. <laughs> anyway, as they're leaving the solos, they also chat about something I thought was really funny. How Jag says the moths are like evil little children. That's goddamn hilarious. I thought that was great, too. And then Jaina says, through all of her intrinsic wisdom accrued across 33 or so years of life, says, Mom, Dad, things are bad. Hey, hey, smart kid. (laughs) What the fuck? Well, she she learned. She learned from her brother. (laughs) Like, I'm just joking because... What the conversation was kind of a quick summation for these characters of what happened, what the what the political landscape has grown over the last book, right? Like we're still sort of early-ish chapters here by nine, and and so I yeah. get it. But having her tie up the conversation with being like, "Mom, Dad, things are bad. Things have never been good in your life once you fuck." Like what a <laughs> what an asinine statement. It's what a useless comment. Yeah, it definitely just seems a little, little ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's almost like she, uh, Han and Leia should look over and pat her on the head and be like, "Yes, sweetie, yes, they are. Things are bad. Give her the five-year-old pat with on your the toys head. now. Yeah, treat her like Alana." Chapter ten. Cash, two years earlier. And all I can say is thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Cause yep. We all these four chapters alter alternate between like six pages, sixteen pages, six pages and sixteen pages. Chapter the second chapter of our reading here, chapter ten, takes us back to the past and back to the tribe, the lost tribe of the Sith, and they are my favorite part of the book by far so far. I've I've been loving I've been loving this whole thing. Yeah, and you know. It's all brand new and it's all different from what we're used to, but 
The story is just so interesting. And we come back to Vistara. And she is being ritually paint tattooed and jewelried. But fake Mm -hmm. piercings only, Tim, because the tribe would never dream of purposeful disfigurement. A little bit. A little bit different than another secret population we've heard about before, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the Yuzhan Vong used to cut their own faces apart as a sign of badassery. But these Sith, it would be, you know, like we talked about before, they idealize perfection, or at least they appreciate the, uh, the, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? They appreciate the the quest for perfection, even though it is unattainable. Oh, there's a Borg. (laughs) Right. Sort of, right? Yeah. Without the the implants in that. And they're like, they're this insular... Then again, the Yuzhan Vong were fucking the Borg. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I guess, you know? But but they are like this... They're like this insular, self-contained culture... Um, I mean, until until now. So they're different than the Vong. They would never cut themselves up. So mm-hmm. why is Vestara getting all this dress-up show happening? Because she's been summoned before the Circle of Lords, a.k.a. the tri- Lost Tribe of the Sith equivalent of the Jedi Council, carrying yeah. more of that mirroring forward that we got in the last episode, right? Yeah, and, and how the Jedi and the Sith really always have been. Yeah, uh, the, they're carrying this all forward from ancient times, but all the yeah. Sith that we know has always been rule of two and blah, blah, blah. But the, I just, I like them having, like I said last time, they have a Sith temple. They have apprentices and masters. They have a, a council of lords, like all that shit, man. They are just a, a, a perfect mirror image of... The light side of the Force Jedi, which is probably what the Force is meant to be, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be balanced like that. Yeah, balance is not 5,000 Jedi and two Sith. Unless the Sith are actually that much more powerful than the Jedi, and then that is balance. But what if they're not? What if they would be equally powerful if they weren't so desperate to grasp whatever scraps of power they can find and exploit them and accentuate them right what if what if they had this culture that you can fall back and on you can fall back on and rely on always being there like they were talking about in the last book with the baron doe sages right where the whole reason why those dudes went underground was to preserve their culture in case of apocalypse well what the fuck happened to the sith they got exterminated Mm -hmm. right and so what and so then, you know, all the Sith going forward are desperate, power-grasping, maniacal psychopaths who try to control everything that they can because you don't have this base of a foundation of a culture that has survived time, you know, and, and gives you consistency. I don't know. Yeah, what it if would, it would be would, a total would you, mere... It would make you a little paranoid after all that time. Well, right. And just what if the Sith had never been exterminated and the, and the galaxy ended up fine. The force ended up finding itself into true balance. You know what I mean? And then, I don't know. I'm talking bullshit right now. <laughs> yeah. We're talking, uh, hypotheticals and, uh, and what ifs and why, 
Why am I talking about this right now? Because they have a Jedi Council. That's the only reason. <laughs> These Sith, though, like we were just saying, are very different from what we're used to. For example, Vestara is getting all ready for this thing, and her father comes into her room because she is part of a family that she lives with. Mm-hmm. And her father speaks kindly to her. They joke around. And he gives her a hug before she leaves for the circle of the Lords. Who are these people? They're just like regular people. people. They seem like just regular people. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. They're still brutal and ruthless, but also creative, artistic, and gentle even. They, like, they have a yeah. very, like, okay, so Vestara goes, as she's making her way over to the Lords, before she gets there, they they dip a little bit more into, like, their history and culture. And, like, she's heading to this city that is a walled city because thousands and thousands of years ago, the, the surrounding lands were full of wild beasts. So they built this walled city. And then eventually the wall didn't need to be used anymore, right? It, life settled down. Yeah. And so they made this beautiful city of force blown glass out of lavender sand, you know, and, and, and then all this beautiful art and they have it so much amazing. Yeah. They have so much culture and it's nice to have some Sith other than the kooky rule of two folks to look at, man, their traditions. Yeah. We get that. Let's look at something totally unique. And how different are they when we see Vestara arrive for her summons and the Grand Lord's special guards wear blue, Tim? Mm -hmm. Come on. Palpatine's guards wore red. These guys wear blue. We couldn't be more different. We've been misled. Yeah. It's It's blue. Anyways. Their high council meets inside of a giant stained glass dome and their leader wears a colorfully embroidered rainbow robe. Who are these people? (laughs) What kind of Sith are these, man? They're they're very exuberant in in, in how they dress and how they live. Yeah, okay. So let's compare to... I just thought of this now. The only other group of Sith that we currently know about, the fucking cave hiders on Korriban. Who live in dust and darkness. And, 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 and worry, right? And they don't look out for each other in sort of the way that this culture seems to. And these people live in a a life of celebration almost. Yeah. Their architecture is stained glass. They're, they're, I, they've reached a point in their culture where they're strand. They've been stranded here for 5,000 years, right? Mm -hmm. And they've eliminated all the threats from the world. It sounds like now. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least the threats are still there, but it's, Less of a bother, I guess. 
Right. Yeah. It's everything is under control now. And yeah. and they've come to a culture of decadence, a, a pro- prosperous artistic uh, expression. Like what? That's I guess that's kind of what I was getting at before. Like what could the Sith have been if the Jedi hadn't unbalanced the Force? Yeah, they, you don't they could have it would have definitely been from from what this looks like it would have been they might have still been on this planet or whatever but they would have just everyone would have known they were there they probably would have just hung out used their force powers to do what they may not have been evil well like and or they just would have been no more of a um no more power hungry than the rest of the fucking galaxy's problems yeah, there's a, there's plenty of non-force users that are a, a a pain in the ass of the of the galaxy at large, right? Yeah, uh, and they were the only the only thing you run into with that is, is when they do decide to cause cause a hassle, they're just stronger than everybody else, right? But maybe they don't cause so many problems if they have a beautiful life like this, because. These people don't seem to be evil. They don't seem to have ill intentions. No. They, they just seem to want to master the Force and their understanding of the Sith way. And to, to, to backtrack a little bit, our point about look at how amazing this culture is. Well, this is a really cherry-picked selection of Sith from the past, right? This is one ship of people. Yeah. And their descendants. This is the culture that came from one ship of people. So, you know, the 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 Sith war at large at the time had obviously, like every war does, a, a wide variety of people. It could have been a it could have been a ship of assholes that landed on this planet. But it seems like it was a ship of just intellectual, creative, interesting people. With yeah, good intentions, regular people, yeah. yeah. With no, it doesn't seem like they had any real, in not that even good, just no real intentions at all. Just wanting to live. They, they, I don't know. We're only just now getting introduced to the to the high council and all that stuff, and so I guess we don't really know much of their motivation. But what we get from Vistara is that being the the high lord is the greatest honor, right? Being the president is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, getting accepted to Hogwarts is the best. And she wants to go to magic school and master it to someday be the leader of the Sith. But what lead them where? Because they're just stuck on this planet for 5,000 years chilling, right? Yeah. I think she just wants to be, she just wants to be in charge. Well, and that's our kind of our point about what they're, they don't have good or ill intentions. We don't know what their intentions are. We don't know what their goals are. Do they want to get yeah. off this planet? Have they not? I don't know. I know that, you know, there's a, they're, you only got what you got here. But Yeah, I don't, I don't think they have any way to, if they wanted to, they had No, they definitely they don't have a way to get off. And, and that comes up in the High Council meeting where when Vistara meets with the Circle, they challenge her to recount a few things. Number one, tell us the story of the return with capital R. Yeah. 
And she tells this story, which is like the native Kashiri people legend, right? If I'm getting this right, where yes. the Sith that crashed on this planet are the capital P protectors against the capital D destroyers. And they're going to protect the Kashiri people from the destroyers. They're going to, they're going to protect them against the destroyers and stop the capital R return. It, it, it all sounds bad. There, there's some sort of mythical figure to these native people. And like, she tells a story a bit and talks about how when the when the first Sith crashed their ship, all the natives were like, you guys are gods, like the C-3PO thing, right? Like, you have a spaceship. You guys must be gods. Look at your technology and your power and all that jazz. And so yeah. they get entwined in this mythology on the planet where they're the protectors to stop the return of the destroyers. Okay, so... If the Lost Tribe of the Sith are the protectors, Tim, who are the destroyers? Uh, well, if you're going in the opposite direction, if you're flipping, if the Sith are the protectors, that would make it logically the Jedi the destroyers, right? That's what I would think. Because. Okay, we are actually on the same page. Good, I didn't want to. Wait, no, no, I I disagree now, actually, because. These Kashiri people don't know shit about Jedi. They're, no. But hold on, hold what? on. Because um, if we're drawing that dichotomy of the opposite of Sith is Jedi, well, they don't know anything about the Jedi. They've never been visited. Wait, they have been visited before and annihilated. But they don't talk about it being Force users or something like that in the mythology. It's just it's like more vague. And it makes me think it's not Jedi because of how secluded these people are. And and, and what I'm, and I'm saying, I'm saying that they didn't know like the Sith showed up and they were more technologically advanced and had powers, and so they were like, "You're our protectors." It, so it could be could be that it's so far in the past right. that nobody really knows who the bad guys are. Well, I think that's more possible than it being Jedi, though, because what Jedi would annihilate a planet? Well, it could be inadvertently. Fair. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> so this whole thing is like an accidental mythology? <laughs> in yeah, case, like in an, case I, Centerpoint ever fucking goes off again, we need the protectors. Yeah. It's like Avengers level threat. Yeah. Alright, so we don't know who the destroyers are, but the Lost Tribe are the protectors. And then Vestar is also challenged to tell the council, not the council, the circle, excuse me. Challenge to tell them about her exchange with ship. And guess what she chooses, Tim? Honesty. She is a Sith in a room full of Sith. And she chooses honesty. And she is rewarded for that. Yeah, she nails it. They value honesty. And her emotions are constantly validated while she's recounting this this interaction with, with ship. Her emotions are being are being validated by Lady Rhea, uh, uh, another a lord on the council. Yeah, and then she's told that she's special and given an original Omen five thousand year old lightsaber because she is appreciated. 
Yeah. She told the truth and got presents. Who are these people? What is... Are we going to get the flip switched on us? The switch flipped? Flip switch? And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, yeah, everything seems good on the surface, but really at the heart of it, there's a an asshole underground who's running a secret society. Like, you know what I mean? I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have a guess at that one. That's going to happen. But right now they are looking like pretty cool people. They do look, they do seem like pretty cool people, man. I mean, I don't know. What do you think of these anti Sith? These body snatcher Sith. Like, they don't behave like Sith. No. No, they they don't behave like like a, like a an oppressed people that are fighting for their freedom. Fighting for survival. Like, yeah. Like, like having your, is... your beliefs and species survive. Yeah. And they are just... They're, they're pretty chill. I think... I think they're exciting. And I think this chapter was really fun. So much fun. So, Vistar is given a 5,000-year-old lightsaber and told she is special. And Lady Rhea tells her that it's time for the tribe to rejoin their brethren in ruling a Sith galaxy. Um, Did Ship not tell them that there isn't really anybody out there? What brethren, I don't think so. What brethren are they going to rejoin? Uh, unless they're part of the... The one Sith? The one Sith. Yeah, but ship, and ship thought they were shit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure that is it, right? Those are the only two groups of Sith that we've had contact with. And then now, picture the two of them merging and working together being so differently yeah so differently evolved it's time for the tribe to rejoin their brethren in ruling a sith galaxy and it's time for us to rejoin the present timeline with chapter 11 and two years into the future now that's right Back to the present in the chief of state's office on Coruscant, where I don't need this chapter. Dala's assistant, Wyn Dorvin, is a boring guy with a boring office, but he's got a hamster in his pocket named Pocket, because he's boring. And now he's got an assistant. Which he didn't want. Partly. Yep. Partly this assistant is forced on him because Dala is maximum girl power incarnate. And partly because he actually needs the help. Yeah. So, Dorvin reminds us that Princess Leia was a rebel. And I don't know what this scene is for. And then we get our first in-chapter location change. Our first one of the book in chapter 11. This is the first time we break a coherent narrative in a chapter. Christy Golden does not know how to write Star Wars books, does she? Because it should have happened 55 <laughs> times right now. <laughs> if we're calling... She, she, she pro- she should have read those books beforehand so she could follow the, the pattern. Yeah, that's why she put all that extra ship stuff in there for uh, Aaron Alston. 
all the extra uh, extra details from earlier on because she's like, I'm breaking your format, bro, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> but we, we get our first in-chapter location change as we cut to Moth Leckerson's residence on Coruscant. And the Moths hate Jag, especially hate uh-huh. him with Jaina. So this man, Moth Leckerson, the man that Han Solo almost murdered at the end of the last series, Gets to scheming, baby. Well, he's a moth. That's what they do. Yeah. Got to restore the the empire. Glory, glory. Yeah. Which, I don't know. This is like, this is just kind of like a reminder chapter though, eh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, uh, like it could be like a story. It's, yeah. It's reminding that we're there. It's obviously going to be involved in the story later. Well, yeah, it's, it's. I think what it's doing, I think it's this is on purpose. I think we're getting this uh, chapter shift on purpose at this point as we're picking up some old threads. Like, hey, Leia used to be a rebel. Hey, uh, all this stuff that's going on with the moths in the Empire from last book, right? We're picking up mm-hmm. old threads and we're cutting the chapter perspective right as we're about to start doing that a lot more, I think, and intertwining some of these old threads into this new story. Like, I think yeah. that I think this is a purposeful choice or I'm reading too much into it, but either way, I like it. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like the, the chapter itself, right? It's boring. I don't like when Dorvin, I don't like that, that, uh, that Dala has an assistant with a fucking pet in his pocket. It just doesn't seem like her. And his name pocket it is a little off brand for sure. I can't decide if I love that it's named Pocket Man or if I hate that it's named Pocket. I like that it's named Pocket, but I don't... Shut up, me too. Like you said, I don't like that her assistant is allowed to have a pet. Yeah, it seems weird. But I I do think this is just picking up some of those old threads and we're going to start tying them in as we go forward. To chapter 12. The Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Where the press have been removed from the temple. There's no more observers, right? Mm-hmm. But now they're everywhere else. And Jaina hates their guts. Again. Why? Just because they're bothering her privacy a little bit. Hey, man. The Jedi are falling apart and it's a bit of a fucking galactic story. Yeah, and they are one of the main political influencers. Yeah, and she's in, one of their in the galaxy. Yeah, and she's one of their most famous faces. Never mind the whole love affair with Jag going on, right? Which it would be so salacious to the media. Yeah, that would be news, anyways. Yeah, but she hates their guts. And they're waiting outside when she's leaving, and she and Jag are up to something here. Something that requires code names. Code name carved, and code name curved. Christy Golden is fucking nailing naming stuff right now. <laughs> okay, I, I want to hate on him having the hamster, but I I like that its name is Pocket, especially because the dude is a boring, plain dude. Okay, 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 fine. I just hate the hamster. But naming <laughs> naming <laughs> these two, code, code name Carved for his scar, and Curved is just funny. That's good. The two of yeah. them, she tells the press, are going to have a dinner date. She doesn't tell the press that there's some sort of secret ulterior motive, and she doesn't tell us either. And we cut to 
See this pers- perspective shift happening a lot more and more right away? Javis Tear follows Jaina and Jag. This guy's got his own hollow news show now, by the way. Yeah, I noticed that. Is he like a Bill O'Reilly or something? Or like what kind of, I don't know. I don't watch CNN and news. I don't watch any of that shit. Uh, so I'm not no, sure. I'm not sure what real life, uh, you know, news uh, celebrity this guy is supposed to be. Probably an amalgamation of a number of people, but he's got his own yeah. half. Hour, he's got his own half hour hollow news show now for breaking all the Jedi story. That's good. Moving up. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, the he's, camera in the uh, right place at the right time. He's tenacious, and he follows them into a high rise restaurant, which is what a mirror image of exactly what from two chapters ago, Tim. The, um, the restaurant. Have... The restaurant is a giant glass sphere on top of a tower, just like the I... fucking Sith uh, Circle Council place. Oh, oh! Isn't that weird? Wait, wait, I'm like, I don't. What building did they describe? No, okay, I got it. Yeah, that one. I didn't put that together even till just now. That's not in my notes, so <laughs> I okay, don't know. I just you. put that together, but like. They're going, you know, from a from a, from a giant glass ball on a tower to a giant glass ball on a tower restaurant. How about that? Javis Tier follows them there. Fancy, fancy. Cut to. It sounds like a pretty bomb restaurant, though. Yeah, it does. It sounds fucking cool. Uh, we cut to Jaina and Jag talking about their body doubles while watching them have fake dinner. And then them themselves, them themselves, good sentence, mm-hmm. sne- they sneak out the back door of the kitchen. Cut to Javis Tear realizes he's been fooled, and now he's mad. Cut to Winter and Tahiri. Winter and Tahiri. I'm going to repeat that again. Because <laughs> this is, I agree with you, this seems like they're up to an actual mission. Winter and Tahiri help Jane and Jag escape for an a visit across the planet to a secret little inn. They're going to a bed and breakfast. Yeah. And this chapter has been her dodging the press so she can go, you know, this, the two of them can go be lovers at a bed and breakfast. The president of the empire and a goddamn solo kid. The last one. Yes. The only one left. So, all right. Uh, this better wind up setting up something good, right? With like Yeah, this- it should. I hope that they're actually doing something important. Here's my guess. This is going to motivate Javis Tear to cross the line. And that is going to spark an inappropriate reaction from the angriest Jedi. Which is going to make everything worse, just like I said she was going to do at the beginning of the series. (laughs) That's my prediction. What do you think, man? What do you think we're setting up here? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be either either he's he's going to 
put something the wrong, like he's going to put something on the news that is false and it's, he's going to be discredited right. or, or, um, Corin's going to do something crazy. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he's going to, uh, catch another legitimate incident by tracking down Jaina. You know what I mean? That's a, that's yeah. a good one. That's a good prediction. I like that. Either way, something better happen out of this. Otherwise, I mean, this chapter was fun and it was funny. But it was just kind of pointless. Yeah, it didn't. It, there wasn't a lot to it as far as well, as far as we know, story wise. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So far, but I mean, I guess we're building out Javis tier a little bit more. You know, if he's going to be like a a second tier NPC character in this book series, or or at least this book, that's okay. Build him out a little bit more. I kind of like the guy. Every time that we've gotten his perspective, he's he's like thinking or or acting. You know, I I have to keep my journalistic integrity and stay within the lines, type of thing. Yeah, and he's he's not bending the truth. He's just getting it. Yeah, and then Which at the is... end, yeah, well, and then at the end of the scene, he's like, oh, he needs his his. Uh, his editors are telling him he needs a new scoop to re rekindle this Jedi interest. Uh, Cause the ratings are dropping. Right. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to do something. And then we cut to the solos apartment on Coruscant where princess Leia, former rebel. Don't forget is lying awake, worried about Alana. And she tells Han the child needs stability. Not wrong. Y'all yeah, are very unstable. Alana needs stability. So let's get Alana a pet. Wrong. Bad parenting. Bad. <laughs> That's bad. Han says, why don't we just let the droids take her to pick out a pet? No. Wrong. Bad. It's bad. Bad parenting. What the hell, man? I un- I understand. I understand Han's point. He's I just saying that because he's tired in bed right now. But God damn it, parent the child. What the fuck? You, you had three kids. Two of them are dead. This is your grandchild. You get to raise her. Okay. You're the one who is entrusted with this secret mission to raise a secret child. You are the one. You are the one who's supposed to be the stability, not a pet. You be the stability. You're the fucking adult. Well, but they, they are also Han and Leia Solo. Exactly. They don't. They the don't child should not be with them. That, well, true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're very unstable. Exactly yeah. right. And so, what are they going to do, man? They're going to keep parenting wrong and doing the wrong things to try to patch up the potholes of their wild fucking life. Because they can't stop to raise a child, and they actually can't. You know. More often than not, it's the galaxy pulling at them. They're not running away from their kids and stuff like that. No. And but but a pet is not the solution. A pet is an addition to a stable home. Okay. <laughs> Make the Millennium Falcon a stable home. Or they're gonna wreck another kid, Tim. They are going to wreck another kid. She is going to be so messed up. And they are going to mess her up next week when we read 
Fate of the Jedi, book two, Omen, chapters 13 through 16. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. I'm going to wreck it. <laughs> I can fix it. With a pet. <laughs> For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.